listening to Left of the Dial. I'm your host, Andrea. My usual co-host, Kitsy, is on the road. So today, I've called in one of our favorites here at Lefto to share hosting duties. Y'all know and love him. He's the basis for the Tisburys and Riverby. He's the titular Doug Keller of Doug Keller and the Dub Subs. And of course, for God's sake, let them play your wedding, Duke Maroon. Welcome back, Doug. Thank you for having me, Andrea. I appreciate it. I'm always so happy to have you here. I could talk to you forever, but I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, so I'm just going to do that. Uh, there's no way our listeners don't know all of this already, but uh, Franz Nikolai has maybe the longest and most varied resume of any Lefto guest so far, I would say. You likely know him best from his work with The Hold Steady and World Inferno Friendship Society, of course, his own solo work. He's also a novelist and a travel writer, a journalist, a professor. Uh, I'd say just like an all-around brilliant, thoughtful person. He's with us today to talk about his newest album, New River which is out today, November 11th, on Don Giovanni Records. Welcome to the podcast, Franz Nikolai. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Before we jump into talking about the songs, real quick, just a little uh, peek behind the curtain for our listeners. We're recording this in the past for you. So you uh, recently just played Fest, yeah? Yeah, I played Fest last uh, weekend, I feel like it must be. Something like feels like a very long week um <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but uh yeah it'd been my first I, I think it was my fifth fifth or sixth fest but I hadn't been in in eight years or so and I figured you know new record gotta gotta <laughs> rejoin the scrum make myself <laughs> known again um unfortunately it was the same weekend as the as the big world inferno event which I was a little sad to miss although I didn't have any responsibility to perform um, <laughs> i had written some orchestral arrangements for the um peter the, the clarinetist and sax player from my time in the band um was organizing a this small chamber orchestra mm-hmm. yeah it seemed really incredible it, it seemed great and I, I saw the some of people's cell phone videos and i was just like oh god if only i could be in two places at once but but it was great to you know fest is a great place to see all these, I, I've occasionally, especially around my first book, The Humorless Ladies of Border Control, because it's sort of presented as a, as being about punk scenes in, in the former communist world, I'll occasionally get these comments or, you know, Goodreads reviews of people being like, I listen to his music and it doesn't sound like punk to me. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, these things are social scenes more than their, than their, than their musical associations. You yeah, know? absolutely. I, I run in the punk circles because that's where my friends are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whether my, you know, my music doesn't sound like, sound like The Clash or Blink-182 or whatever you define punk as, obviously. Yeah. Exclusively yeah. Blink-182. <laughs> that's the only one. That's, yeah, everything else is not punk. The rehabilitation of Blink-182 in the last 20 years is one of the most mysterious phenomena in the music world, as far as I'm concerned. Right up, it, right, right up there with the rehabilitation of the Grateful Dead. That's... Rehabilitation. Can you expand on that a little bit? People going around talking about how important they are. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. With no shame. <laughs> That's fair. It's really interesting to see. I think, like, I was just old enough when they kind of blew up to still kind of love them as a young like pop punk idiot yeah um but to also have like a little more understanding of of that and i kind of get why people why there has not needed to be rehabilitation but why there was something to be rehabilitated in the first place i guess 
Well, I understand that there's a there's a phenomenon every every couple of decades in which uh, a new generation of people take the helm of the culture websites and <laughs> exactly and uh, and and look around and say, okay, now I'm in charge uh, of I'm a tastemaker, and what do I want to do? I want to uh, I want to defend the things that I liked when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. See those things. Yeah, it's interesting that now's the time when Tom has rejoined the band too. Now that they sort of have been. Uh, I love I love your choice of the word rehabilitated there, so I'm just going to stick with that. Yeah, he's he's back on board. But uh, you know, we we could talk about Blink 182 for for an hour, but I'd much rather talk about New River. Yeah, um, I understand there are other podcasts. <laughs> Is there an exclusively Blink podcast? There must be. Yeah, I think that doesn't Sam from Junior Battles have a Blink 182 podcast? That, I believe that I believe you if you say it's true. But... <laughs> I think I think it's true. I think oh. it's true. Don't give my ADHD brain something to spiral out <laughs> on right now. Well, I'm prepared for this. Um, yeah, so let's let's dive into um, the first song. What do we want to share with folks first? Uh, let's talk about Wandering Star because it's the first song on the on the record. So much more than I got Got so much I don't want I'm a wandering star But after the fire, still small voice Yea, though I walk in the awareness of my heart Chemistry of stars Alchemy of heart Gotta step lightly for a while now I have it on authority Looking backwards gets you pillar of salt Looking up, see the void beyond the vault Stare at the mirror, make sounds of self-pity Half-smile of pleasure Or a grimace at the indolent too beautiful sky Tonight over the city Wild, thick, swarming now with complicated monsters. 
longest walk, the straightest line is between the soon to be bounced and the bouncer. Gotta step lightly for a while now, I have it on authority. Looking backwards gets you pillar of salt. Looking up, see the void beyond the vault. Stare at the mirror, make sounds of shame. Grimace of pity And the infinite Beautiful sky stretched out Tonight over the city And the infinite Too beautiful sky that's out Tonight over the city What's to say about it? I mean um, It is uh, Do you have anything you want Have you had a chance to listen to it? And do you have anything you want to ask about it? Yes, so and maybe just this is my feel on it. Are the vocals primarily written first for these songs or is the music kind of coming first? In this case, it was the guitar uh, stuff, the the, the music. Uh, I think in all the cases on this record, for the most part, the music was written first. This was these were songs that I assembled over a bunch of years. You know, I had done a record in 2015 or 2014. I don't even remember that I and then I had sort of went gone through a period where I, I didn't think I w- would make another solo record for a while. Um, and so I was sort of actively keeping myself from writing songs uh, because if you write a bunch of songs, then eventually you want to share them and, <laughs> and then you're back on the hamster wheel. If you give a mouse a cookie. Yeah. Then you have to exactly right. If you, if you write some songs, eventually you have to pay an engineer and then you have to hire a band and then you look for a record label and then nobody wants to put out your record and you get frustrated. And then eventually someone does. But you get to go on podcast and then and then nobody buys it and then you get frustrated all over again so why write songs in the first place uh no but you know you start sometimes you can't help it and then you know and then i of course i'm writing songs for other people you know i I rejoined the hold steady and then and and so we've got in this pattern of every six months or so each one of us would submit you know three to five demos um to the band and some of them got picked up as hold steady songs and some of them didn't um and the ones some of the ones that didn't i still thought were were pretty good as music um and so i kept them for myself there's a few of those songs on here that i that had been pitched as hold steady songs that that um that i ended that didn't go anywhere but i i then i put music on them i put words on them and then i had written you know, I had written some fake songs for the novel that I thought the lyrics were pretty good. Um, and one of the comments that you always get from that, if you're writing, if you're writing fake songs in, in, in fiction is people being like, oh, I wish I knew what it would sound like. <laughs> okay, well, well I, you know, it's, it's, I'm not as prolific a lyricist as I used to be. So I can't just go around like tossing off good lyrics and then not, <laughs> not using them. So some, some of them were that. Um, which brings us back to Wandering Star. This is so, oh yeah. So in the, the first pandemic months, you know, as everyone was doing, I was just sort of sitting up late at night trying to figure out what to do with myself. And and uh, it seemed like a good opportunity to start assembling the material, you know, what out of all these bits and bobs of the past at that time, five years, do I have enough to make a record out of? And it, and, uh, it came together really quickly. Uh, that part of it, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. finishing the songs, matching lyrics and music, 
uh, and then demoing, um, you know, that was April 2020, but of course I couldn't record it for another year. And then because of vinyl production being what it right. is, it couldn't come out for another year and a half. So that's one of the frustrating built-in bits of making records these days is you're always, you're always talking about something that's, mm -hmm. I mean, some of these songs at this point are seven or eight years old. But uh, luckily, having been through that uh, process a couple times in the in publishing world, which works even slower than uh, right. music industry, I'm I'm more acclimated to that than than I than I might have been before. So it wasn't too difficult to sit on the songs for a year. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, it's right. Of course, it's <laughs> difficult. But you just eventually have to put it, put it away and and, mm -hmm. and come back to it fresh when the thing's about to come out. I mean, one of the fun things about what happened in the pandemic is a lot of the musicians, since we weren't on the road and since we weren't spending as much money, a lot of people upped their home recording game and mm -hmm. took that money that they would have spent on buying merch to and renting vans and, and bought themselves some nice, some nice mics and stuff. Um, so I ended up, you know, it wasn't more than a couple months into it where I started before I started getting emails and texts from people being like, Hey, I'm recording a record. Can I send you some files? Um, and so I ended up playing on a bunch of people's records from my office. And, and then eventually I started doing the same thing. You know, by the time I got around to being able to track the rhythm section of this record, I could send it to someone like Lauren from Warriors or Deanna from Sincere Engineer or Todd Bean, the, the great pedal steel player um, and say, hey, can you, you know, can you do a couple things? Um, so this one, you know, I didn't intend to make like a star-studded guest sort of <laughs> record, but it was just like um, that was that was the way things were going at the time, and I could call in some favors and or just be like, I, I was already trading songs back and forth with Lauren, particularly anyway, um, and Deanna, um, and so I could get them to sing on this song and get Todd to play uh, Todd, who played pedal steel with Lucero for a little while, and Chuck Reagan. Um, he played pedal steel on this and Mike Huguenor from the Rosenstock band played some guitar and, uh, and this is, and this is what we got. This is what we got. That is Lauren on this track though, specifically. It's, it's Lauren and it's Deanna and, I heard it's, them. Okay. And, it's, and it's my wife, Maria. So it's oh, beautiful. Like, That's very cool. I love that. Lauren gets their own feature on, on, uh, on one of the other tracks, the Morris column. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause I did see their name in the, uh, in the list of credits and I was like hunting and pecking and I thought I grabbed them here and then didn't think to keep listening for them. If I remember correctly, <laughs> they're on the first chorus of this one and then yeah, it's very Deanna cool. takes over. Um, it's a, it's a really beautiful song. It's interesting. You said that it kind of, it came together so piecemeal because one of the things I've been thinking about as I've been listening to this album is that like, if you had said it was like uh vaguely a concept album in some way it just it feels so cohesive and it feels like there's such a um not like a, I wouldn't say like a linear narrative running through it I don't think like it's that so much but it just does feel like every song is in conversation with the ones before and after um that's interesting to to, to me anyway but I mean I bracketed it with two songs that are meant to be in conversation with each other that's for sure Wandering Star and and the title track new river spring for me um you know it is a and i which is something i i did on on luck and courage my record from 12 years ago as well where the first and last track and that really contextualizes and you know putting a frame around something makes 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 you 
start trying to make connections mm -hmm. between the other everything else that's within that frame. Um, I think there's also probably a self-editing uh, aspect of it too, too, which is, you know, one of the ways I assemble material is I just have this long, long text file, uh, which as I think many people do, um, of words and phrases and things that I find in my reading and things that pop into my mind or things that I hear people say that I just think are cool vernacular ways of, of expressing. And that's just my my raw material slush file, whether it's going to go into fiction or or or, or lyrics. Um, and so when I sat down to write this, I had a bunch of instrumental stuff, some of them really fully formed instrumental demos and some of them not. Um, and then I, I printed out the 30 or so pages of this slush pile and I start paging through them while I'm listening to the yeah. instrumental demo to see what what sort of I have. I usually have a sense rhythmically of what I'm looking for. Um, and there's probably, uh, an, you know, in addition to finding things that, that fit rhythmically, uh, there's a, there's that that felt sense of what sort of topics I'm interested in at a particular mm -hmm. time, um, that that probably informs what the what the songs and the record are about. I mean, it's it's definitely, it's, you know, I've I've talked about this uh, before about you know my my particular midlife crisis <laughs> involved feeling like I had been done as a musician at a certain point, that I was getting diminishing returns on the solo records. I wasn't back involved with the Hold Steady yet. Um, I had young children. It seemed selfish and irresponsible to be going on these tours. And, and I was just like, okay, well, I guess that was chapter one and sort of wrapped it up and, and start working on chapter two, which was going to be writing and teaching. And so the, I think if, for me, the, the narrative of this record is that, is that slow walk back towards, um, you know, uh, from, from Wandering Star, which has, a, to my mind, a, a, a fairly bleak mm. um, um, worldview um, towards towards New River, which is, you know, I, the, the, the metaphor there is, is pretty straightforward. You know, <laughs> new River Spring for me, like here's the, here's the new, here's the new, here's the new spring with the new, new creative fount. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the movement from, from being directionless, from being the wandering star to, to finding the new sort of uh, fount of purpose. That's, I was, that's really beautiful, which, I mean, it's, that's your job, I guess, so it makes sense. But um, I think uh, that's, that's so smart, because I'm, I'm sure that you're right that that's what's going on there, is that, you know, you start to draw these little lines as the listener, um, as, you know, uh, as, as the reader, and then it, it becomes almost impossible to not try to do your own little, like, red yarn map on, on the, like, uh, uh, pushboard. What do you corkboard? You know, yeah. I think the the danger for the for the songwriter or the poet or the or the or the fiction writer is to us uh, is to lean on that as a crutch, though, mm -hmm. and and uh, and make it the reader or listener's problem to to make those connections. Um, you know, I feel I feel like they're you know I, I'm no enemy of lyrics that. Are get thrown together without the songwriter necessarily knowing <laughs> how to explain 
you know, down to the smallest syllable, what they think is going on. But I also think that to just throw a couple phrases together because you think they sound cool uh, with that, with that as your backstop of like, I'm leaving it up to the listener <laughs> to, to interpret it however they want. That to me is, you know, is, is slightly creatively lazy. I, I love, I love, I cannot tell you how much I love to hear that. That is like, yeah, it's, I, I was thinking a lot about uh, this song in particular. No, actually, I'm going to save what I was just going to say. It's not the song in particular. It's one that comes a little later. Um, but there's, there's such a fun, like you said, this is, you know, a pretty bleak uh, kind of outlook in this song. But there's also something to me that's a little kind of like light and almost I don't know if tongue in cheek is exactly what I mean, but I'm thinking like uh, an example is the if the shortest distance between two points turns out to be the wrong way down a one way street yeah. is like a uh, I had I couldn't remember the word for it. I had to look it up, but a, like like a kind of malaphor where it's like you're jamming these two kind of like idioms together yeah. to make this new fun. And it's like it's a little like winky to me. I don't know if that. Oh, there's definitely funny sense. lines in it's, here. Yeah. You know, looking backwards gets you pillar assault. Exactly. I have it on authority. You know? <laughs> I, th- I think that's funny. The mm-hmm. one that the one that makes me laugh is the uh, the longest walk. The straightest line is between the soon to be bounced and the bouncers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all about it, it, it's all about consequences. It's about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is like you're you don't know where you're going but you can't look back and things are gaining on you so uh so better keep better keep moving mm. i mean the, the, i can i can say more about revision if you want i've, I've had a chance to think about a lot about that because i've been you know i i, I teach at bard i teach a, a songwriting class and fiction workshops and so i'm working with undergraduates on on mm. their creative work and um one of the most one of the concepts that has the 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 widest gap between uh, how resistant young creative people are to it and how crucial um, professional creative people think it is, is about revision. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had people say to me, I don't revise. First thought, best thought. You know, I, I, the the poetry that I'm writing is capturing the emotion in the moment and any, to touch that at all would be to betray that feeling. Um, And I understand that idea um, and I, you know, I want to give that the, the, the space that it deserves, but, you know, talk to anyone um, who works, especially who works with words for a living mm-hmm. and, and all they want to talk about is revision and how many revisions it takes to, to get something to where it wants to be and how the moment, those, those places that seem too hard where your, where your instinct is to, is to, is to, is to give up and be like, well, if it sounds cool to me, and there must be a reason for that, and the the um, and the listener will, uh, you know, to to lay it at the listener's feet instead of putting that extra work in on your mm-hmm. own side is those. That's the moment where you need to actually bear down because that's because it's your felt sense telling you that something's not right there, and it's your laziness telling you that that you can justify it or explain it away so you don't have to do that work. That is writing advice for and I come from a before I jumped into podcasting and whatever else we do here I come from a, a teaching background I was a, a writing teacher not creative but revision is my favorite thing to teach and like you said the thing that students are most I think resistant to yeah um, and 
I will say just as a one of my favorite things to do when I get to talk to people who do teach is to look up um, and see what their student reviews look like. And I'll say you don't have any, which is a good sign. It's like Yelp, you know, like if a if a student likes you, they're not going out of their way to to uh, look you up on Rate My Professor, you know. So uh, it sounds my guess is your students really um, love being in your classes from that alone. Well, I, I would say indifference. <laughs> That's indifference is pretty good from from undergrads, though. So yeah. still, yeah, that's I, th- I think that's great advice. And it also um, unless you have more or Doug, you have more you want to say or ask about Wandering Star. I think that is a beautiful segue to Garlic and Vine. I think so, too. After the sun makes the tower and the light jump into falsetto, what do you consider fun? We can settle in the band shell and play games with the echo. I wanted to write you a short song, but I didn't have time. So won't you a long run? May gods of garlic and vine. you love and let it kill you no find what you love and let it keep you alive the dawn leapt from its bed and dissolved the stars we went from counting our blessings to counting cars and the bars on a window anything to keep our heads from our pillows i wanted to write you a glad song but i didn't have time so i wrote you a sad one Made gods of garlic and vine. We sat on the bench and watched roses and let one all sweep the water and the other swept the strand. I shut my mouth, hymned in the rising sun. It got Make a spade for me With what's left Make a hole for me With what's left Make an axe for me With what's left Make a dagger for me It won't be fire, it'll be water next time Keep a stained glass conscience and a firm rowing mind You know, so few ways to begin a life So many ways to leave one behind Wanted to write you a sad song, but I didn't have time So I wrote you a bad one Made gods of garlic and vine Garlic and Vine. This is one of the oldest songs on the um, on the on the record. This is one of the ones 
that I wrote in spite of myself <laughs> back in whenever that was 20, 2015, 2016, probably. Um, um, I just had this, I don't know why I wrote it now. Uh, it's, um, I like this one a lot, <laughs> which is not a very insightful thing to say about it. Uh, the, the genesis is, I had read someone quoting a letter by Pascal, uh, who says in, in passing that he wanted to write uh, the recipient a short letter, but he didn't have time, so he wrote a long one. So in a way, this is about revision as well, about how to be concise uh, is harder uh, mm -hmm. than being, um, than, you know, the first, the, 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 the rambling first draft is a lot easier than the tight, concise second draft. Um, and I expanded that to, you know, I wanted to write you a glad song, but I didn't have time. So I wrote you a sad one. So good. I it's, love that. It's also, so you know, the default, the default um, stance for a songwriter is often to write the mopey song, the sad mm -hmm. song, um, and actually to write um, the different shades of happy ending uh, can be quite challenging. Um, yeah, I had another student who was writing about, she wants to write about affairs. Um, or she was talking about how there's more novels written about affairs um, than about marriages. Mm -hmm. I said, well, it would be interesting for you to explore, you know, in this essay, why, why you think that might be. And she said, well, marriage isn't that interesting. And I, I said, as a married guy. She's going to say she married. <laughs> I beg to differ. You know, in the same way that we've been trained to to it by the nature of, you know, the history of singer songwriters in America over the past 50 years to assume that every I that every songwriter is a confessional songwriter, mm -hmm. that every I in a song is the is the songwriter himself instead of a narrative construction. Um, we've you know, we've been trained by fairy tales and Victorian marriage plots. <laughs> you know, that the story ends with the wedding and then it's happily ever after and nothing ever happens after that. When in fact, you know, you've got 20, 30, 40 years of extremely textured um, mm -hmm. relationship that's, that's interesting to explore. And what you're actually saying is that, you know, as a 21 year old, you don't have much, you don't, you can't imagine yourself into that scenario, which right. is totally fair. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, uh, and that, you know, the 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 situation of an of an affair is much easier to explain in the context of the dating life of a college student, and so it's much easier to to extrapolate from one to the other, um, which is all. What was I talking about? Uh, oh, happy endings. Um, which you know, this song doesn't have a happy ending exactly. I'm I'm looking through the lyrics to see if there's anything else I can talk about. Um, the frayed shaft of the sun makes the tower and the light jump into falsetto. I have to say is one of the favorite lines that I've written. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's striking. The, uh, I borrowed one of my favorite lines from Rosenstock from a, from an old bomb, the music industry song. I always liked that, that just summing up a relationship as it got sadder and it got weirder than I was gone. Uh huh. And so, um, uh, he, when I was recording this, when I was tracking this record out in Oakland, he was working in the other room of that studio on Ska Dream, which was a secret. 
at the time. <laughs> um, and I was in, I, I was working on my record with Ara, the drummer from the Slackers, you know, legendary ska band, the Slackers. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, hey, you guys, can I send you a track and have you guys play on it? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And we, so we did that. And, and he was like, hey, whatever you're working on, if you got something, you know, if you got something I can help you with, send it over. Um, cool. I said, well, why don't I send you the song where I steal one of your lives? <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so he, he played, he played some great guitar on this and he played some saxes on one of the other tracks and, and sang along with his line for fun, as he said in the email, like giant caps <laughs> with like five exclamation points. I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know Rosenstock personally, but I, I get the impression that a lot of his, uh, sentences end with five exclamation points just yeah kind that's of. kind of his vibe yeah yeah what else about this one stained glass conscience and a burrowing mind uh you know a stained glass conscience is like it's not a clear conscience but it's a beautiful unclear conscience mm -hmm. yeah and um, there's which i i think is the most we can hope for like who goes through life with a clear conscience and a burrowing mind is something that i i said about um I have a I have a friend, this cellist and singer named Emily Hope Price, who's who's just I find her endlessly fascinating. We've been friends for a long time, and my wife was like, "What? What do you? What's so interesting about her?" <laughs> Not in a mean way. She's, yeah, she's curious. Said, well, she's got a burrowing mind. You know, she's got one of those minds that wants to like keep digging yeah. until mm -hmm. she gets to the root of something. So, That's a, a a beautiful trait in a person. I think just in general, um, I. You have all of these moments in in your lyrics in general, but in this album in particular and this song, I mean, you pointed to two of them and I I keep, I, I, I said before I wanted to save this, but I'm just going to say it here and then we can, we can uh, point back to it a little later. These like big, um, I keep wanting to say esoteric and it's not really the word I mean, but I think listeners will kind of like circling around that super like hyper specific images and then paired with these very like almost um I don't mean mundane in a I'm sorry this is your first time on the podcast but I I'm terrible at qualifying and, and prefacing everything I say with a, a qualifier and a preface I think you're allowed to say mundane um, right up against those same things uh it's there's there's a line in in new river in particular um but but you just pointed it out there too that um the makes the tower and the light jump into falsetto what do you consider fun is such a the juxtaposition there is so interesting um to me and i wonder does that come from that that way of writing lyrics that you were talking about of like i've got all of this cool stuff and then i have to see how it sort of fits together for me and and how i make meaning out of that or yeah, I mean, there is a sort of magnetic poetry aspect of it. <laughs> let me let me throw these fragments up against each other and see where sparks start to shoot off. Mm -hmm. um, but going from the the God's eye view to the the ant's eye view is also, you know, time tested fictional technique. Right? <laughs> the, the battle scenes in 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 War and Peace, you know, you've got the Russian army and Napoleon's army, and you're swooping around to the cat the cavalry's charging and the and the um, you know, Napoleon's looking through his telescope and great historical forces are at play. And then and then all of a sudden he'll zoom in and see like, you know, a dead, dusty sparrow or whatever <laughs> with a with a with a ant crawling over its eye, you know, lying next to the soldier's rifle, you know, which is it's it's so that sort of move 
in a way is so common now from cinema that it, mm. that it's that it's it verges on cliche you know the 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 grand indifference of nature to the to the schemes of man or whatever um but that kind of register shift is always going to work <laughs> from from you know whether it's linguistic from the super elevated to the super vernacular or from the from you know a point of view shift in that way or from an abstract thought to a really concrete detail it's you know classic way of grounding it yeah that's my broken brain is like, you should have, you're a teacher, so you don't need to, but you should have a podcast. I feel like I started a podcast because I stopped teaching, you know, um, but like that is just. Uh, I'm open yeah, for really. business. If anyone wants to sponsor my podcast. <laughs> I'm editing that out because I don't want anyone else to know. Giving that To me, when that lyric that you kind of uh, altered a little bit, is there a kind of meta element to your writing that's what i'm kind of picking up on but i could be projecting myself as a musician in there that you're writing about <laughs> musicians and the life of that yeah i mean i'm writing about the lives of creative people you know people who want to make stuff um in the uh, you know there i i could i could claim that there is something meta going on here because this song actually does have one more one extra verse that if i had if i had really been strict i would have edited out um, there's that half a verse before the bridge that we sat on a bench and watched roses end, let one oar sweep the water and the other swept the strand, shut my, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that one, you know, structurally speaking, there's no justification for it. Um, but I couldn't quite get rid of it. And it is a half verse and, and Ara came up with a drum part that could, that could keep escalating up mm -hmm. into the, so I was able to keep it in there. So there's a way in which I'm, you know, disproving my own. It's easy to pontificate about how you can, how you have to be ruthless, a ruthless editor of your own work, but, but I did leave that extra half a verse in there. Um, I've been on this on the on the topic of of meta writing about the creative process. I have been in a very deep Stephen Sondheim hole for the past year, um, which is is a funny thing to do at this stage in my life and career because you know, I'm 45, I've been in music for you know over, over two decades. And so usually the things that I'm gonna really discover and get excited about or go in a deep discography dive about are gonna be obscure or you know undiscovered <laughs> or undiscovered by me or someone, you know, like one of these one of these sorts of things. So to really confront someone who's canonical in the most uh in in the in the deepest sense is a little embarrassing you know it's not that I wasn't aware of Sondheim but it just hadn't clicked with me yeah. you know for all those reasons you know I think because I sing melodramatically at, in the way that I sing people assume that I'm a deep musical theater head and I have the same objections to musical theater voice that that a lot of people have um <laughs> But for whatever reason, in my 44th year, it, it, it really clicked. And, and, and so I feel like I'm going around being like, have you heard about this guy, Shakespeare? <laughs> Turns out he's amazing. Um, and, you know, and the, the Sondheim that I, that, that were the, the, the two um, musicals that were really the entry points for me were the ones that are really meta musicals. Uh, Merrily We Roll Along, which is about, um, which is about a songwriter, a, a playwright, um, and a and a journalist, and the corruption of their youthful idealistic dreams, um, 
and then uh, Sunday in the Park with George, which is about which is about the selfishness of the creative act in a way, um, and the what you what you trade off um, if you're going to be a creative in terms of the the relationships during your life in exchange for creating something that that lives beyond you, uh, you know. The two things that survive you, as the as the song in the in the in the play goes, are children and art. Um, and so I have been thinking about that a lot. I mean, right as I before I logged on with you, I'm holding up one of these books <laughs> collectively. <laughs> I'm, I'm really deep into it. I love uh, an obsessive deep dive like that. You said there's something that um, I have just had sitting in my notes and I didn't really have a place for it, but you mentioned children. So that's as good a place as any. Yeah. And so if you don't mind me sort of taking a little bit of a digression, I, I came across an essay of yours that I fell immediately in love with. And I'm not ashamed to say this because listeners know what a crybaby I am, but I was like three sentences in and started like kind of like weeping a little bit. And it's, um, is it the Randy Newman one? It's... <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you know? Because <laughs> that's a song that I still can't listen to without without getting weepy. I am I'm I'm such I'm such a crier, so it doesn't even. But I just want to share uh, just a couple of lines from that for our listeners. Uh, I will link to this in our show notes because it's it's such a beautiful essay, and I'm not a parent. It's not even like that. I was crying before I think you even mentioned Newman or children. And it's in that that very first paragraph. It's only newbies in the naive would try to cheer themselves up with music. Real heads use music homeopathically. The only treatment for sadness is sadder music. Matching the music to the moment contextualizes it, labels it, boxes it in velvet for display. Makes the moment, uh, this is where I'm going <laughs> to, makes the moment less terrifying because though matching the music to the mood may be solipsistic, somehow it's less lonely. I, I don't think anybody needs to write anything else about music after that. Like, it's just such a perfect, I, I just want to like put it in a box and bury it. And it's, it's, it's just so, uh, I love that so much. Thank you. But it is, it is an essay about, <laughs> about children and, and, and parenthood. So listeners who are uh, parents, you should absolutely uh, follow the link that I'll share and read every word of it. Cause it is lovely. I mean, yeah, that's a song by Randy Newman off one of his lesser known records, but he was promoting it on NPR when it came out and he came on the, the Leonard Lopate show and played it. And I was driving and I had to pull over. I mean, it's, it's, it's such an incredible, you know, it's a song about, about going to a party on his block, uh, the narrator, presumably not Randy New, although he's, he does say in a, in an interview somewhere that it was based on, um, you know, that he had been going to this family's pool party every year for decades and this remembered this kid who had, you know, like the golden haired five or six or seven year old jumping mm -hmm. off the pool and the, all the things that a, that a kid like that can go on to be and, and, and it doesn't, you know, he becomes a drug addict, he becomes homeless or something. And, it, you know, from the point of view of talking to the father uh, about, about, you know, going to the party and saying, you know, how's your kid? And, and the, 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 um, the way that the father would react. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I think being a parent and, and 
uh, that I'm pre-programmed to re respond to. I mean, the other song that does that to me is Children in Art from, from Sunday in the Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was watching that on the way home from the airport in a, in a taxi and all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, I'm the guy, <laughs> as a middle-aged man, I'm the guy crying to like <laughs> Bernadette Peters on, in the back of a taxi. <laughs> I love that. But it also, it was interesting, you know, I'm sorry, I'm circling back to Sunday because no. I'm really thinking about this stuff. And we were talking about it in the Hold Steady recording session, actually, when we were finishing up the Hold Steady record that's going to come out next year. And, um, you know, I played this I played this song for my wife because I was like, you got it, this song. I, I'm obsessed with it right now. And and, uh, and she didn't get it. She's like, I guess you had to have, you know, it's where it sits in the story. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's it's one of the reasons that, you know, I, Sondheim for uh, hasn't had as many songs excerpted from the songs from the shows to become standards in the same way that his predecessors like Gershwin or Kern or Berlin mm -hmm. did because they're more embedded in the in the in the narrative and the in the character building and, and so on um and uh and Craig and I were talking about Sondheim around one of these songs because we like to talk about scene changes in Hold Steady songs um right of course uh you know, there's there's been a cinematic quality. There's a cinematic quality to his storytelling, and and so the music, a lot of times, should 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 mirror that. Um, but it, not, but but not in the way that it works in musical theater. So I was thinking about this a little bit in terms of story songs, and we think of story songs um, in. Uh, as musical theater songs as somehow associated with story, but that uh, it occurred to me that there is a difference between the kind of story songs that Craig writes, for example, and the kind of story songs that Sondheim writes, because one, Craig's kind of story songs are self-contained. Mm -hmm. They're more like a Raymond Carver. They're more like a, a Ann Beatty or something, you know, short stories, Alice Monroe, self-contained stories. And the other ones are stories embedded within a within a with they're they're more like the store one of the stories in a linked collection mm -hmm. they're they're like can contain a turning point for a particular character but they're not in themselves extricable from the from the plot when you get to playing some of these songs for like the hundredth the thousandth time does any part of your mind start to go to literary criticism to start mm -hmm. to be like you know we've played chill out tent now like 500 times but i'm starting to think this is what he actually meant reading of it or is that just shut off completely it is interesting which songs you get sick of and which ones you don't um and there are you know i shouldn't single out individual songs but i will say that there are songs that i could happily never play again and that there are and there are songs that i never get that i never get sick of and it's that kind of um separation <laughs> you know i'm thinking of like a centrifuge where some things get spun and spun and then certain things go like this after you know it, they separate this this far i'm for, for the podcast i'm holding my hands two <laughs> inches apart after a thousand you know revolutions but after ten thousand revolutions they're separated you know two feet apart um uh you know i think you see some of that you know, let's talk about Hold Steady songs because that's a band that's been around for 20 years and people, you know, have their favorite songs. And so you can, you can start to talk in this way. You can, I think the, the to, to leave my perception to the side for a second, I think there's a fan side 
uh, evolution that is the equivalent, uh, which mm. is that there are certain songs that uh, were not the singles, for example, when the record came out, which have risen to, I think, a place of greater prominence in the catalog. Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, I think, for example, you know, for a long time, if you ask someone about a Hold Steady song, they'd be like, oh yeah, Chips Ahoy, whoa. <laughs> you know, that was the, it was the single on the big record. It was the first song a lot of people heard. Um, it had a video. And I think, I feel like that one settled way back into the pack mm. where, you know, I, you know, something like Sequestered in Memphis is, is, or like, you know, Stuck Between Stations, which wasn't a single, but I feel like oh, it's right. the, it's sort of like the Ur Hold Steady song. Uh -huh. Like, not that it's necessarily the best song, but it's the one where I certainly would be like, if I met someone who's like, I've, oh, I've never heard your band, what's one song I should listen to? I would definitely play them that song. Cause again, like not necessarily it's the best song, but it's definitely if you don't like that song, you're probably not going to like the Hold Steady. It has all the elements. <laughs> right. It has all the core elements are in that song. That's an interesting thing to think about because, you know, you said that it's it can be a kind of like. Uh, hmm. There's like a, a sort of like uh, maybe like a push and pull or give and take in terms of ownership over songs, right, between the uh, musicians and the listeners. And even that then in terms of like which songs kind of become the the bible of that band there's only so much whatever band has to to say about that right do you do you find that so you were saying like there are songs and i'm not asking you to name any specifically but do you find that there's a relationship between like the songs that i'm still most excited to play are the ones that maybe are more of a surprise to listeners or the ones that the people at the shows seem to be more um seem to have taken more ownership over it can be both i mean uh I am always excited on a Hold Steady show to pull out a deep cut sure. <laughs> um, or to play a brand new song. Now, those are not going to be the ones for the most part that get the huge ecstatic reaction. That's right, going to be right. the opening riffs of Stuck Between Stations, which also <laughs> feels amazing. Uh, to, you know, da, 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 ah! you know, that's also a great feeling. So you want to get both of those in there. Um, but I think if, you know, if, if it was all the greatest hits set, you know, 45 tight minutes of your little hood rat friend and Master Knights and Chips Ahoy and how a resurrection, you know, that would get a little tedious after a while. Right, of course, right. everyone wants, you know, people want to hear those songs. Mm -hmm, of course. Um, luckily, in my own sets, I don't have any hits. So <laughs> I feel free to uh, to discard some of the songs from 10 or 12 years ago that I don't feel any emotional connection to anymore. Okay. And, to, and to make staples of the set ones that were not um are not ones that i that i that i get the impression people uh uh they're not like my top plays on spotify but i mm -hmm. feel like they're some of the better songs mm -hmm. uh, and and whatever it's my choice I, I'll, I'll make them staples of the set if i want to hey leftos it's andrea and me kitsy from the past or the future or from right now depending on when you're listening to this episode we're here to tell you about all the very cool stuff you're missing out on if you're not keeping up with us at leftofthedial.fm. That's right. Head over there now to check out tons of album reviews and essays by our fantastic music writers, and you'll get to watch our incredible live sessions with bands like Teenage Bigfoot, Take Today, and Proper. And you can pick up those live sessions at leftofthedial.bandcamp.com so you can take them with you wherever you go. It's also a great way to support us and the musicians you love. 
because we split all of our profits with the artists there right down the middle. You can also join our Patreon, where we'll have lots of behind-the-scenes footage, early access to live sessions, performances that you won't be able to find anywhere else, and lots of pictures of my perfect dog, Pacey. Oh, he's so good. Follow us on Twitter at Left of the Dial PC and Instagram at Left of the Dial FM to keep up with everything we're doing and to see even more pictures of my perfect dog, Pacey. Oh, and right now we're also looking for new music writers who want to get paid to write for us. So send our editor-in-chief an email with some writing samples and or pitches at jen at leftofthedial.fm. That's leftofthedial.fm. Celebrating independent music. Characters welcome. Never go to the post office again. So let's move on. Um, this is the penultimate in the in the list of songs that you've sent over, Champagne Sammy. <laughs> Sammy uh, is a character song. Um, this is one of the songs that I musically I had I pitched as a hold steady demo, um, but it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I remember be, being in the in the rehearsal space and 
we were playing playing everybody's demos uh, and uh it was i mean it took about 15 seconds where Craig was like nope 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 <laughs> it's like hey okay <laughs> guess that one's mine then <laughs> i you know and honestly i prefer that i'd rather i i, I in the same way that I prefer that someone reply to my email and just be like, no, right. as opposed to the no reply, mm -hmm. I'd rather no, no, like definitely this is, this is just, I'm not vibing with this one. And then that's great. Cause then I can go take it and do something else with it. Um, this one for me is, uh, has that kind of Northern soul first mm -hmm. Dexys midnight runners mm -hmm. record with mm -hmm. the one section mm -hmm. is the vibe I was going for. Um, Frank who played bass, was super concerned on this one that he had been too busy and I was like no this is you know if you listen to searching for the new soul rebels you know it's that it's that trying to be James Jamerson Motown super busy baseline that's the vibe don't don't worry about it um this is a theme um that I explored a little bit in the novel too, which is about that that experience, which I think a lot of people have, and I, I don't know whether it's especially young men, but maybe it is, uh, of having that older sibling figure who's a slightly bad influence, but is <laughs> is so charismatic that you um, you start a, uh, um, you take on a lot of bad habits. Um, just out of like, you know, you're young and you're looking around for a personality. And then mm -hmm. if someone has a very, has, can, can give you a, a, a sort of fully formed worldview, you can take, you can you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to be like that guy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have a friend who talked about someone he knew like that. Uh, he's uh, who would sort of take on these proteges and then the proteges would end up with a drug problem or end oh, up, geez. you know, dead or and he said he's the last friend you'll ever have <laughs> but i borrowed that line here yeah that's that, that's really what the song is about you know you reflect me and i respect that you know people people will like you if you if you start acting like them mm -hmm. um if you got and and then if you got to play with fire rescue something from the blaze like okay you know have some dangerous friends but uh you know at least get some wisdom out of it and mm -hmm. and get yourself out uh um uh get get yourself out before you before you're in too deep you know what, what does it say in the bridge it's not where you hang out it's where you don't it's not what you do it's what you want yeah that's where that's that you know it's where people where people draw their bound a lot of people will do just about anything or try <laughs> just about anything and um you know whatever i encourage that <laughs> uh, but uh the i mean the the thing that you can get away you can take away from having relationships like these and friends like these is is a strong sense of where your of where your boundaries actually are once you've once you've crossed them mm -hmm. so that's sort of what this song is about and i do that fun uh it does that fun modulation at the end which is an old trick but it always works <laughs> old vegasy songwriting trick it is fascinating there's a was a chess park i always like i there i have i have this totally unfounded theory that your city's not a real city if you don't have a if you don't have a park downtown where there's old men playing chess philly's more of a checker city checkers that that applies to we're big on shoots and ladders yeah oh my god we're a silly silly little city it's philadelphia i think
Yeah, uh, that would be amazing if they did, you know, the, the, the kids parks with the, uh, where they have the soft, um, the, the stuff, the, the new technology where you, you fall off the playground and you land on the soft stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if they had instead of the, the chess and checkers tables, they had like. Shoots and ladders. <laughs> Shoots and ladders, hustlers. <laughs> <laughs> I've never played before. I don't know. I just, it's beginner's yeah, luck. Hey, big, hey, five bucks. Hey, <laughs> me a little bit. <laughs> I love Candyland hustlers. <laughs> oh man, that's a good band Those... name. Candyland Candy hustlers. hustlers. Oh my god! Yeah, like a riverboat gamblers. Uh, I guess. <laughs> exactly. The Candyland hustlers. <laughs> that's that's so fantastic. I'm not a monster, but I know a few. Has been just it like I don't like hmm. burrowed in and got stuck. That's such a yeah, well, it's most for most of us, if we're around long enough, that it turns out to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. My notes for the song is: I liked it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> They're great parts. Uh, I liked the bridge. <laughs> I liked everything about it. Uh, Bridges are another thing that, with my songwriting students, it's always, it's always. I'm, I feel like I'm pushing it on them. You know, I have, a, I have a whole spiel about bridges, which I, I'll spare you because we're already running long. Should time. it always come but after I, the third chorus or? The second chorus. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about bridges. <laughs> I think, first of all, not every song needs a bridge. Second of all, uh, again, like entry-level songwriting, right? Your, your first songs are, most people's first hundred songs tend to be sad songs about how they've been misunderstood or <laughs> a lot of like you and me songs, mm-hmm. I and you songs, like, pair, you know, um, relationship songs first person and second person where there's two characters um two-dimensional uh in both senses verse chorus and 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 iu um and i feel like that when you start branching into bridge sections all of a sudden you're popping into three dimensions the the role of a of a good bridge is to offer that you know you're again like Going from two, all, you add you have two points and you add a third point. All of a sudden, you're in three you're you're in a three dimensional world, and so the role of a good bridge is is to offer that is is to offer that contrast both musically and and it can be um, also. Uh, I keep veering into into sort of like literary craft, but it's the place where you can offer the, you know, people who write op ed. Uh, op-eds talk about the to be sure paragraph (laughs) you're making your argument and about two-thirds of the way through you have your your paragraph that says to be sure and then you you offer the counter argument to acknowledge (laughs) that you know it exists before dismissing it Uh and continuing with you know to be sure opponents of my position would say xyz however i would argue (laughs) however i would argue and the bridge can be the to be sure paragraph in the song it's the it's the you know we're rocking we're rocking we're rocking to be sure here's a very mellow uh, piano break <laughs> here's the other way of of making this argument you know and sometimes that um, sometimes that's where the the plot changes in the song you know um, so if you think about so an AABA form is not exactly the same as verse chorus bridge, but you think about a song like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the B section, the middle eight, uh, the, that has the, func- the bridge function in that song is 
where there is then one foggy Christmas Eve, like that's where the story changes. That's mm -hmm. where, you know, um, or, you know, you can go from, 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 uh, you know, people will change tenses at the bridge. It'll be like a present tense, present tense, present tense. Um, and the bridge would be, could be speculative, you know, changing, changing the grammatical mode there saying like the bridges will be, if I did this. Mm -hmm. So like the, your, your verse and choruses are, I did this, I did this, I did this, if I did this, or what would happen, you know? Um, and also, you know, especially in a, in a world in which we're, we're doing a lot of recording and demoing in digital audio workstations where the, you just have these lines of things, it's easier than ever to write a bridge because you just draw a line down the middle of your song, spread yourself, let's say eight bars of silence and literally throw anything in there. I mean, if the riff is strong enough, if the hook is strong enough, um, it can withstand any, anything in there. It can withstand, you know, uh, eight bars of, of squawking late period John Coltrane sax. It can withstand <laughs> 10 seconds of crickets chirping. And, and it just gives you, it, it'll, it, it allows you a chance to step away from the main thing so that people will be happy to hear it again. Mm -hmm. So the question is like, your, your question is, does it have to come at the, after the third chorus? It comes at the moment when the, 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 your listener is about to get tired of your, your main idea and you allow them to step away from the main idea just long enough so that they'll be happy to hear it one more time. So it should be act four of a Shakespeare play, <laughs> right? Where you kind of reset before the finale. Maybe someone's in prison that's taken it off. It is a reset. Yeah, it is a reset. I mean, there's a there's a song on the new Hold Steady record where the bridge is literally, I, I, I was talking about it as like, we you're it's that moment where imagine yourself in a space capsule and and you're shaking and it's loud and every and and there's flames and then all of a sudden you're floating in space yeah. and it's the deepest silence you've ever heard and then you're and then it's re-entry and you're back in the shaking and the flames i i try to find a reason to bring up one particular song whenever i have a conversation with doug and you've led me to it so beautifully that if we're thinking about <laughs> songs with a bridge that does exactly what you're talking about, I would argue, and I know it's a song you're familiar with as well, uh, the bridge in Springsteen's Atlantic City, I think is such a perfect example of sort of all of that. It's even the only one, <laughs> Doug's getting red in the face. No, I'm just saying perfect is tough to define as a word, right? I, I think that I just did it. It's it's the bridge in um, Atlantic City. It even does, it's that shift in tense too. He's recounting the whole time what, what's happened before, how he's kind of gotten where he's gotten. And then it's, uh, you know, now our luck may have died and our love may be cold, but with you forever, I'll stay. Yeah, he's turning and addressing someone mm -hmm. directly instead of instead of third person narrating a story. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, uh, that is, uh, we talk about songs that like make you, you know, have to pull the car over. Even if, again, I'm not a parent in your essay about a song about uh, parenting made me cry, Atlantic City. Although it's, it's the Jersey in me, right? You can't say Atlantic City in Bruce's voice and not have me well up. Um, with tears. I will, I put my stamp on this and I'm not just saying this because the two of you are sitting here, but there are two good covers of Atlantic City and one is the Hold Steady's cover and one is uh, Doug's band River B also does. And it is, despite Doug's uh, 
best efforts and wishes a really incredible beautiful cover of that song as well um you know who would who would be furious to hear you say that is uh jack terry cloth the late jack Terry. oh god forgive (laughs) you know sticks sticks and stones covered atlantic city and he would bring it up every time i saw him at at the hold steady cover it he was like what gives you the right (laughs) (laughs) you know he 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 really wanted to nuzzle that grudge about about my leaving his band for for the hold steady and that's just one of the things that he that he latched onto. that's so funny that is so funny you know what i if i'm gonna I, I can't I can't argue. I actually felt like I did have a trump card on that one, which is that which is that the person who asked us to record it was Bruce Springsteen. Huh. I mean, yeah, okay. It's coming, hey, Jack, I love you, but it's coming straight from the top. Yeah, I don't I don't think I knew that about that uh, about that cover. That's uh... we had covered it for a tribute concert for him at uh, Carnegie Hall, mm. um, and he was there. And so when. Um, it was one of those war child compilations uh, came up and 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 I, I, I somehow word came down that that he he wanted us he would like us to cover that to record to record that cover that we had already done that is what an honor my god that i mean i'm uh, obviously a huge uh springsteen fan i mean i'm not the first person it's like we there are certain things that just feel very jersey jersey or not and i think like the whole city is one of those bands where it's like, I don't know. In in my heart of hearts, it's like it's in universe, so it feels. It's in the Springsteen expanded. We're <laughs> yeah. not we're not we're not claiming to be the bouncing souls. <laughs> right, right, but still, uh, you know, uh, adjacent in a way that feels. Yeah, we I, were uh, intertwined with the souls for a while in many ways. Like we bought a we bought a touring vehicle from them. Their their <laughs> merch company. We would do our T-shirts through them. Like they're great guys. They're yeah. Like, oh yeah. That's Kate Hills is you know she's a she's amazing. That's very cool. I love that uh, so much. Sorry. No, one, please. One further anecdote is that there were, we did uh, one show at the Chance in Poughkeepsie uh, where the bill was the Hold Steady, World Inferno, and the Bouncing Soul <laughs> in that order. <laughs> and it was the deepest. It was it was the it was really the crossing of the streams. I, I played with all three bands that yeah. night. You got the the Mikey Erg uh, brand of uh, lineup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was de- <laughs> totally right. Since we are talking, um, World Inferno has come up a couple of times. A handful of our friends are on the tribute um, compilation that just came out, which is incredible. Listeners, I will link to that. Of course, most of you probably have it already. Um, but I think Mikey Erg is on four different tracks. Cat Bite does a beautiful cover. Um, there's just a ton of really great. Yeah, Rosenstock, Ted Leo. Of course, of course. Uh, Warriors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, endless possibilities a tribute to Jack Terry Cloth. It is it is absolutely oh. fantastic. And cap and vinyl. Hell yeah. Links, links, links in the show notes, of course. Oh, Emily Hope Price, who I was talking about before, the cellist. She does the version of, of tattoos. It's amazing. And what an incredible project to have put together. I just well, shout out to Bill Cashman. I mean, he's uh the the man behind the scene. Some people know his name, a lot of people won't, but he's been a He's been a really crucial figure in in tri-state punk rock mm-hmm. for decades, mm-hmm. um, and he's the one who has really taken on the very difficult cat herding job of of shepherding the World Inferno legacy and and uh, you know balancing all the various people who have who, who you know have 
claims on you know emotional claims and psychological claims and and you know it, there's a lot of people who have been in world inferno and we need and, and we needed to sort it out and and keep and make it in uh the legacy intelligible and and um and permanent in a way that um that did justice uh and bill is maybe the only person in the world who could have made that happen and continues to make it happen. So Bill Cashman, a saint among men. I, yeah, I just, we could do just an entire episode on, I'm just, I, I feel like I'm leaving people out whose feelings are going to be hurt. It's like early riser, long neck. It's just like half of these people have come through and been in our studio and are just um, love, love, love. Um, yeah. Um, the Unlovable is a great band. Anyway, um, the Slacker, we've talked about half of these people already today, unrelated to. Um, so yeah, um, all of that to say, we've got one more. And um, before we get into it, Franz, do you want to let folks know, uh, you mentioned the new Hold Steady album that you're working on, what else you're working on, where they can find you, podcast plugs, all that stuff. Yeah, FranzNikolai.com has all the information uh, that you would want. Uh, Hold Steady, you know, I I don't think I can say stuff at the moment, uh, <laughs> but we're going to have a big year. It's the 20th anniversary of the band uh, in, in 2023. So lots coming up with that, with that. Um, my last book was the novel, Someone Should Pay for Your Pain. Uh, that's available in all the usual places. And before that, the travelogue, uh, The Humorless Ladies of Border Control, about touring the, the, the post, uh, post-Soviet, post-communist sphere. Um, I am working on another book, which is way overdue and has, it's, uh, I just need to get it off my desk at this point. Um, and, um, I think that's all the stuff to plug then. And the, the record, I mean, that's really why I'm here is mm -hmm. the new river comes out, I, I guess today, the day this November 11th, Friday on, on the great, uh, Don Giovanni records, home of so many records that so many of us love mm -hmm. and I'm thrilled to be be with them yeah they're they're the best over there yeah you've got a couple of um live shows coming up it'll be like next week I'll put dates in there right um, so the 18th at, at um Bar Frida in in Queens and the 19th um in Silver Spring Maryland um with a great band from Richmond that people should check out Timothy Bailey and the humans um a guy who's been I guess around the Richmond scene for many, many years and has finally was corralled by a couple friends and thrust into the studio <laughs> um, and made this great record. It's produced by uh, Chad Clark from Beauty, a lot of people will know from Beauty Pill cool. uh, and, and Bob Massey uh, from the, uh, a bunch of discord bands in the nineties. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, Timothy Bailey and the humans. Um, check out that record and they're they're playing with me in silver springs on the on the 19th beautiful love that and then there's hold steady at the brooklyn bowl will be at that, that whole week after thanksgiving get a busy november um, yeah again links to everything as always how about you doug you want to plug anything while you're here yes tomorrow november 12th <laughs> as of this uh tisbury's are playing a show at the grape room with uh little hag from brooklyn hell yeah and this is one of those double book nights where River B is playing with Catbite in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, which if 
I would really wish I was getting to play that show because Cat Bite's incredible. Yeah, it's a it's a sad thing to be in two incredible bands that people want to see play all the time. Huh? <laughs> it, well, it's I just try to be first come first serve as far as who asks about the gig and. Yeah. But those are two awesome, awesome shows coming up, and we have a lot of other crazy things going on too. Yeah, if you're yeah, so if you're in, I will say if you're in Philly on the twelfth, go see the Tisberries um, and Little Hag Rules. If you're in Brooklyn, go see Catbite and um, uh, River Band, Bakai, DC band. Who we, I mean, listeners know Bakai. They've they've been here, and we we've shot them at fest. They're the freaking best um although I'll say this if anyone's hearing this in philly since you're philly people i i haven't been able to line up a show in philly so if you put on shows oh, we can yeah 100 make that happen definitely i would love to do one that same weekend hmm well or whenever <laughs> I'm not that far away. let's do a show in philly somebody yeah yeah we'll uh we'll put the put the word out we will talk um also that night the night before speaking of cat bite um uh, at uh, the church, Capite again, Bachai and another Left of the Dial um, family band, uh, Take Today, are playing. So that is a big, busy weekend of shows everywhere. Uh, all of our stuff you guys are going to hear in the ad break. So, you know, Left of the Dial.fm. I'm at AQ Andrea Q everywhere. Uh, New Jersey is the world has not announced anything yet, but I would say keep your eye out for December if you miss our live shows. Uh, at NJ is the world on Instagram at New Jersey is the world on Twitter. I think that's everything on my end. So yeah, one more song. Let's talk about, we did cover this briefly a few weeks ago um, without you here, but uh, let's talk new river spring for me. Known the blade, the blossom, and the fruit. Now I know they're withering. There are mountain hours that take all day to climb the downhill days. You descend singing, one eye on the crowd, one on the moon. Your father was the rough sea. You are the schooner, sails grown big bellied with the wanton wind. And the man, scars and the bands, archipelago. Scattered dots on the map, false code lines, the trap, the punk rock telegraph. I don't think about the past, backed with my memory is poor, which is the A side. I'm not really sure, but New River, spring for me. Spill your way across Open country Carry me down Fast sea Bronze bound vessel With a bone in her teeth
There's a pretty bad sound coming from the right front wheel. Not too bad if you sing along the key. Return to dreams the first week you get some sober sleep. The rush of eager, overwhelming feeling. People try to be good, but not that hard, she said. Line up the banks with their beaks open to the sky. Squawking for lonely as if waiting to be fed. Every night before I go to sleep, just for a moment, I wish that I was dead. New River, spring for me. Spill your way across. Country, carry me down to wild sea. Crowds bound vessel with a bone of teeth. New river, spring for me. Yeah, this is the last track. Um, in some ways, the most important one for me, I think, for the reasons that I described before. Um, it's a slightly different sound that I've att attempted before, uh, that sort of soul band sound. Mm -hmm. It's something that I've been exploring in the band. Um, you know, I'm always, when I sit down to write Hold Steady songs, thinking about like what are sounds that we haven't tried yet and just sort of like free associating. Um, and, you know, so much around that band has always been, you know, Minneapolis bar band, replacements, <laughs> Husker Du, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, the thing that changed between when I was in the band the first time and when I came back was the addition of Steve Selvage, the guitar player, Memphis Music Royalty. Mm -hmm. um, and I started thinking about that, you know, Memphis and Minneapolis, Minneapolis and Memphis, two great music cities. What does it sound like? What 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 is it? What does it sound like for a Memphis bar band, you know, instead of the the the, the bar band that's playing replacements covers uh, in the back of Grumpy's, you know, what about the band that's that's playing Al Green covers, you know, Doris Duke covers in the back of, you know, what whatever place in in, in Memphis, um, and so I started exploring that a little bit on some Hold Steady songs. Uh, Blackout Sam, I think, was the most successful of it. Um, and that sort of spilled into this, I think, sonically, and Steve plays on this. You know, it's been a real treat for me to all of a sudden have a guitar player in my life who who has all those Steve Cropper licks under his fingers. <laughs> um, and Peter Hess from, you know, horn player extraordinaire from World Inferno uh, 
did all the horn arrangements on this record and he knows how much I care about the the band live record Rock of Ages that has the the horn section on it that Alan Toussaint arranged uh, and so he he sort of took it in that direction with the horn chart um what's going on lyrically here it's a lot of like I said I think uh it's it's what's the you know the 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 horizon opening up after after the after, it's the it's the cracking of the light at the end of the tunnel I suppose the the little bit of light peeking over the hill um you know it's got some it's got Virgil in it that there's a there's a pun you know the Aeneid starts with I sing of arms and the man um and I I had this dumb joke about <laughs> singing of bars and the man that I I had there, I, in the in the first draft of the novel, I had a uh, an invocation, you know, like these, like the poems, the 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 epic poems in cla classically, they start with the 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 invocation of the muses, like oh muse, uh, tell uh, tell me about a complicated man, you know, the bars and the man, um, uh, and I had written this whole this whole invocation at the beginning of the of the novel. Uh, which my editor immediately deleted. <laughs> um, but uh, but I I borrowed I borrowed bits of it for 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 the, for this verse. Yeah, jokes on your editor. I couldn't let go of the concept. No, that's so fun. The, band, the scars and the bands, the Barcapelago. Barcapelago is so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's how it feels like. I think when uh, you know, it's in my especially in the touring years where you're like the map. You look at a map and you don't see states. You see you you see like the 930 and the uh, uh, bottom lounge and 7th street entry and you know grumpies and the crocodile and you know the, it's a different it's the it's it's the it's the gulag barcapelago <laughs> these little islands of rock all over the country the punk rock telegraph i was just it's morse code lines that trapped them in the punk rock telegraph it's it is almost like you're a professional it is so <laughs> it's just like such a like fun and like it's like clean is the word i have like a handful of words i like in it that i try to stay to not keep going back to but it's just so like it's another one i want to like put in a box and just be like put it on display somewhere i don't know editing and revision kids <laughs> there you go there you go yeah overall i just love this track from the first time i heard it on the left the dial episode a couple weeks ago just fantastic it kind of reminded me of Tom Waits a little bit. Maybe Frank's mm -hmm. Wild Years or The Heart of Saturday Night, which I'm not sure maybe 100% what you were going for, but that's what kind of was resonating with me. It wasn't what I was going for on this one. It's often what I've, I mean, I love Tom Waits. I feel like Tom Waits is a slightly undervalued stock these mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. Like People have taken him for granted or people have taken on that, that critique that I feel like, um, I feel like, I feel like it comes from Tom Sharpling for some, in some way that, that, that like, uh, Tom Waits, Mr. Hobo, it's all fake, you know, putting on a blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and have forgotten what a great songwriter he is and how, you know, how, how everyone's putting on a pose and mm -hmm. is, is has the benefit of being explicit. Um, I don't feel like he does the sort of gospel chords in the way that this song has. I feel like something like it's Dawn is a little more like, uh, in the middle, in the middle of my record, is a little more Tom Waitsy than this one, um, but I do love him. I love him. If I could, there, there are some, 
sometimes I, you know, I, my voice, everybody's stuck with the voice they have, right? And mine is, <laughs> mine, mine has this sort of like trumpet quality to it. Like, you, you know, Ethel Merman. Uh, I don't think any, but, has anybody made that comparison other than you. No, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, Nobody likes the sound of their own voice. Yeah, you know, the reach the, the the back to the cheap seats. <laughs> Josh Kaufman, who produces the the Hold Steady Records these days, um, has really latched onto that quality of my background vocals, and I feel like he likes to deploy it at one. <laughs> specific point in every record where it's just like oh the blast of the trumpets you know <laughs> this 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 like nuclear weapon of, of my high range background vocals um, but uh you know there are certain songs that i i that i like i could if i could wave a magic wand sometimes it would be like to have one of those early tom waits or like frankie stubbs voices mm-hmm. um uh and I, I would be able to do a lot less with it, I think, maybe melodically. But, but you know, if you have a voice like that, it can sell a lot of lyrics. I think I said in the episode, it feels, this song feels to me um, like, and I'm not, I, I'm sure it's become clear over the course of this episode. I'm not the musician on our podcast. So I always come into things kind of lyrics first. And so I don't always have the most like, uh, like accurate way of describing something, but it felt to me like if, there's like a, a quality of somebody just kind of like wandering into, like you said, the like the back of a bar and just kind of like plucking around on the piano. And then I picture like other people kind of filling in around. And it's like that it it it's like I'm realizing it's uh, clearly what's going on with the like New River Spring for me that that like bit of hope that you said is at the end of um, this album. And it it happens you know, in action in the song to me anyway, the way the arrangement builds and all. Um, well, cool. And this one is also one where like, uh, I, you were asking music first, which, which ones comes first. This is the one song on the record, I think, where the lyric came first. Oh, wow. And one of the effects of that is that the chords are some, at least in the, the, the verse and chorus sections are somewhat simpler than I might otherwise allow myself on piano you know sometimes you have to trick yourself i've historically have tricked myself into writing simpler songs by picking up an instrument that i don't play oh, or don't cool. play very well so like you know a decade ago I, I i bought a banjo and i started teaching myself banjo and um that's it's a great way to write a couple songs you know i wrote a couple songs that are just g to c <laughs> and i would never sit down at a piano and play a g major chord and a c major chord and be like ah, i've got a great song going here boy i'm really cooking you know (laughs) because because it feels too simplistic and my you know um i'm not trying to brag or anything i'm just saying like my my home vocabulary in in piano is more is not is not that um and so and so to write a song like this sort of required having the lyric and having a sense of what the melody and then the melody tells you what the chords are going to be and the chords okay they're you know they're they're a little more triad-y than I would I would normally write if I was just sitting down um at the piano and then I got to write that nice this this is one where I had written the whole song and it was just like well this needs a bridge like (laughs) do that thing where I pull the the side apart and, and try to bring it to a different place for for a bridge but it 
This is a song. It just feels like the lights are on in the bar and like there's somebody with a broom in the background. And then everybody's like, well, hold on. Hold on a minute. There's something happening now. But also it's a, it's, it is one of those like I was talking about like self-awareness about like the nature of what my voice sounds like. I didn't have that. I feel like when I first started making solo records, like my first my first record, Major General, uh, I thought I could be a rock singer in a way that I think actually my voice just isn't suited for, or it mm. sounds a little loot silly doing, you know, it starts getting that meatloafy quality. <laughs> I'm really trying to rock out um, and a little, just a little too strident. And so, you know, I've been consciously trying to, um, to, to, to give it a light touch when I'm singing um, and take it to places, you know, cause it's, it's a pretty, it's a reasonably versatile instrument in its way, but if I'm trying to sing at the top of my register or if I'm trying to really blast, it doesn't sound the way I thought it sounded. It sounds, it sounds, um, it's, it sounds unsubtle. Um, and so I'm trying to write songs like this where I can give myself a little more room to, to, to actually sing it. It is really fascinating to hear people talk about how they hear their own voices and it's something I don't think to ask and I'm going to from now on so thank you just for that baseline like that is I I don't know yeah I I mean it's one of the again one of the benefits of not um you know this is going to sound like a, a way of justifying certain things but you know my 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 solo records don't have a huge audience right there are there there I have a core group of people who are super interested luckily in in these records but they're scattered around the world um but what that offers me is like i said earlier the option of not playing certain songs like i don't feel like i have to play jeff penalty or hollis mason or some of these songs that like like slightly more novelty songs but the ones that that caught a little traction a decade ago Mm. um and also that you know it gives me a sense of um it gives me some feedback in terms of what I thought would work, but actually wasn't working. Mm. Um, and so, you know, like having a rock band and being a rock singer actually wasn't working. And that like the actual, the, like leaning into the storytelling and the words was a, was a better angle. And then, and then to be like, actually, you know, I think my voice works better if I'm, if I'm more of a ballad singer than, than if I'm trying to, um, you know, I wrote this song called Frankie Stubbs Tears for, for an album a, a couple of years, a, a lo- now a long time ago. And when I wrote it, I was hearing it. I was trying to write, I, you know, it was the kind of lyrics that I could imagine Leatherface doing, but I don't sound anything like Leatherface, <laughs> obviously. And so it's like, I still think the lyrics are pretty good and the song is pretty good, but I don't think the recording worked um, because I was, I, I didn't, I wasn't being clear eyed about what I sounded like singing it. So truly so fascinating. I, um, I will ask one more question then, uh, relatedly, and then I will, uh, release you to your day unless Doug has anything else beyond this, but my, do you in, in general saying like, okay, so I'm, I'm realizing at least for myself, I feel like my voice maybe didn't work in the way that I thought it was. And so now I've shifted to something that I, I like feels like more in my, I don't know, wheelhouse or whatever. Um, do you find in like taking just the sort of like utility or practicality out of it? Do you, do you find that like how your, your approach and how you feel about your output is different now? Well, I think anytime you put out a new record, you feel like you're doing something, ideally doing something that you 
doing something better than you've done it before. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain songs where I feel like I'm doing that thing better than I did before. One of the problems with sitting with a record like this for <laughs> for two years, uh, not by choice, is that, um, you know, you the other thing that always happens is you revisit your old records and you say, I should have cut these three songs. Mm. Uh, and I do have that feeling now about this record. <laughs> Unfortunately, now it's coming out. Where I, you know, again, it has that centrifuge quality of like, after two years of listening to it, which are the ones I still uh, am excited to come back to and which ones am I, are my skippers. Um, uh, but there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. You're, it's, it's pretty, you just have the, you have the bunch of songs that you have um, at any given time. And that's the songs you put out and, and, you know, it's, e it's even easier now to, to curate a playlist and be like, you know, now I have 15 years of, of recordings and here are the ones that I think are, are, are the ones that are still alive to me. Mm -hmm. um, and there were other ones, maybe, maybe not so much, but luck, but you know, now they're all out there and, and you put your, you, you send your children out into the world and they have their own relationships and people have their own relationships with them. So I guess, you know, I can say like there, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't love my first record. I kind of wish that I, I had made my second record first, but but I couldn't have made my second record if I hadn't have made my first record because I had those 15, 16, 17 songs. God, the record was too long, <laughs> you know, but but you don't know you're going to make four more records after yeah. that. You're like, this might be my only chance and I got to put all the songs out there and in case one of them is the one, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. It's just, the, the that, I think that's why people like albums so much is because they feel like, for any artist, it's like, here's the basket. Here's what I harvested this year. You know, we, yeah, that, that presentation of like, I went out into the, into the, into the woods and I'm a hunter gatherer <laughs> on, for, on your behalf. And here's what I came back with, you know, here's the mouse with its head chewed off and, and <laughs> that, that the cat brings you. Yeah. I will be fascinated to see, um, what songs really kind of end up being the ones that stick with people. I'll be interested to know. I don't want you to name the three that you uh, would have cut if you had, but I'll be interested to see how many of those end up being listener favorites. It'll be. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I really could just keep you here forever. This has been such a fun, really uh, just informative conversation. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and sharing the album with us. And, and yeah. thank you for uh, being such a, excellent interlocutor oh geez well thank you we try we i'm try, always try. I'm, of course like everyone's always happy to talk about themselves but <laughs> you don't always get interesting <laughs> questions and and have it feel like a real you know a real conversation and this has really felt i i too feel like i could keep talking for you know for another half hour well but thank you you're really welcome back anytime for everyone's uh everyone else's sake who has to get on with their lives <laughs> yeah well thank you so much and doug thank you as always for being the uh, best filling co-host we could have. Thank you. Franz, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Left of the Dial. I've been your host, Andrea. Doug Keller's been my co-host. Our guest was Franz Nikolai. Pick up New River today. Go get it. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. And if I don't see you in a long, long while, I try to find you left of the dial, left of the dial.